Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode 17 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Alicia Israel, owner of Alicia's Barbell, and also co-hosted with my wife, Adrian. Alicia is a nutrition coach. She's actually my wife's nutrition coach, and she works with any female looking to lose weight, feel better, get stronger, improve their performance, and kind of have the no bullshit, the, all the gimmicks pulled out, and just real actual coaching and results, and she's going to do what's best for you in terms of health. She's competed uh, at the NPC level on, on different stages. She's also done powerlifting. She was the personal training coordinator at Ohio State University, which I've actually went and spoke at Ohio State to some of her personal trainers and different uh, bachelor's degree kids. And we've just had a really good tenure over our past eight, nine, ten years of being on Elite FTS and knowing each other. And um, I basically nudged my wife into hiring her. It's who my first recommendation was for my wife. And we've been uh, pretty good customers here for probably going almost a year, give or take, with all the, um, the cancer stuff that we had to go through. But this episode's great, chock full of great information in terms of uh, nutritional health for females, whether you're a sport athlete, you're looking to do figure, powerlifting, just the average person wanting to feel better about yourself and your health. She has got amazing content on here. Uh, I know me and my wife took some stuff away that we really enjoyed. And this is, you know, no bullshit kind of conversation. And I really, really like Alicia for that because there's too much fluff and detox teas and, and stuff like that that's pushed. And girls begin to sell this stuff and try to actually call themselves coaches. And they have people eating very few food and all this other kind of stuff where Alicia is going to get you the results the right way with your health in mind. And she's incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to this. So if you're interested in finding Alicia, um, I highly suggest checking out her website, aliciasbarbell.com, where if you're interested in any of her free nutrition crash course stuff, which she has tons of free stuff that she offers, um, but also on top of that, if you're interested in working with her, there's also an application uh, form on her website that you can do so. You can also go to the show notes for this episode at thirstgym.com, where I'll also have all that linked and everything about Alicia that you'd want to know. So enjoy episode 17 with Alicia Israel. Hey, Alicia, this is Brandon Adrian. How are you doing? Awesome. How are you guys doing? We're good. Good. Um, so everybody knows um, Alicia is a full-time nutrition coach now. Um, I've known Alicia for, I don't know, eight years, give or take, uh, through Alicia. Yeah, it's been a while. And um, Alicia is actually Adrian's nutrition coach, time two, thanks to uh, cancer. So we <laughs> are actually a, a paying customer. So I want to get that out front that there's no goods or services exchanged here. Um, we're obviously good friends, but we're also customers of Alicia. So um, Alicia, thanks for your time. Adrian, do you have anything you want to add before we start asking her questions? Nope. I don't think so. Okay. Hey coach. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, so I guess Alicia, just tell us 
what you do now currently for a living. Um, I knew you during your Ohio State days, but what you currently do now and then kind of what got you into the nutrition coaching realm, what is your why behind that? Yeah, so it's a long time coming, I feel like. So yeah, I I was at Ohio State as the personal training coordinator for a while, um, seven years exactly. So uh, I did that for a long time. So exercise physiology, personal training, that was kind of my starting point, my foundation. But as I started to dive deeper into it and train clients, uh, jump into bodybuilding and powerlifting, I started becoming obsessed with nutrition um, and realizing how important it was, especially for women, because there's so much bullshit uh, in magazines, the media, social media, like it doesn't matter where you look, it's typically bullshit unless you know who to look, <laughs> who to look towards for actual information. Uh, even in, even at higher education, like some nutrition classes were complete, just ridiculous. Like they're not based on current research. And so I just saw a need. <laughs> I saw a dire need, um, to actually teach women how to eat and train because it really wasn't there. It was, you know, from the academic side, like if you look at research, 90% of subjects are men, you know, even on the nutrition side, like when they study macronutrients or supplements, it's always like male subjects. Better now, obviously the research is getting more, um, there are women specific and it's more even keel, but back when I was in school, that was like 12, 13, <laughs> 14, I don't even know, years ago, it was very hard to find a good balance of, of women information. So I found a need for that. And just from my upbringing and kind of what I dealt with growing up, um, I've always just felt a need to help like inspire women to, to help them realize that they're so much stronger than they give themselves credit for. If they just allow themselves to show up, if they allow themselves to get out of their comfort zone, uh, that's just been such a strong, strong passion of mine growing up with an abusive father, um, all the stuff that he did uh, to my family, how my mom escaped that took a lot of fucking courage, you know, a lot of strength. And that just in and of itself just made me want to become a stronger woman, just watching my mom do what she did, but not even just, you know, from the physical side, but also from the mental side, the emotional side, relationally. I just wanted to be strong all around uh, to show up in a way that inspires other women to do the same. So I think the weight room does that. I think training hard does that. I think eating right to fuel your body does that. It crosses over into other areas of your life. And the more and more I train women, the more that becomes more evident in their testimony uh, when they experience that, you know? So that in a nutshell is a little snippet of, of my story and kind of why I really love to dive in to women's nutrition, women's training specifically. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I actually, I've been following you on Instagram for, I don't even know how long now, um, several years. And I, I've obviously picked that up because you're, you, you post about that all the time and it's very evident that you are, very much into empowering women, which is awesome. I think that's why a lot of women are in this field because we know how it affects us, it affects our whole life and it changes your life. Um, so kind of leading into the next question, you have your new program, the strength generator program. You have an awesome video about it. Um, 
but you want to talk about that a little bit because that's a really cool program. Yeah, yeah. So it stems back to when I worked at Ohio State. So of course, as you can imagine, um, literally the first year I was hired at Ohio State, I'm not even kidding you, um, Ohio State's just, they're just kind of like this, but they're like, just create what you want <laughs> in fitness. <laughs> experiment you know it's higher ed like experiment fail forward like that's kind of just like the higher education mantra um so i was like all right so i was like well if you're gonna put this on me i'm gonna create something cool that i think is cool and that i think women would think is cool so i created the first women's only strength training program there which was called buckeye barbells i was literally in my apartment doing my makeup one day before going to work and i was like buckeye barbells that's the name like <laughs> It just came to me and I was like, that's so cool. So anyway, that program was all things women empowerment and strength. So we taught them the big lifts. So squat bench and deadlift and the accessory movements to that, just basically hinging, uh, how to squat properly, how to like press something properly overhead, horizontal, all of that, just the basic foundations. Because really, if you learn the foundational movements, you can cross over that to anything. You can cross it over to using a machine. You can cross it over to picking up your groceries. So that's why I love those. I love those movements because they're so foundational. So even if you're not a power lifter, they're important to learn. But yeah, so they learned all those movements, but also we met once a week and did more of like, let's learn about nutrition. Let's learn about the why behind everything. Also, let's learn about, you know, confidence. Let's learn about imposter syndrome. Let's learn about you know, how to set boundaries. It's about how this is crossing over um, into other areas. So it wasn't just uh, show up and lift and that's it. Here's a program. Here's progressive overload. It was much more than that, much more of a mindset piece to it as well. And all the girls, when they finished the program, they're, that's all they like turned into. They, were, they didn't say like, oh, this program was cool because I learned how to bench press. They said it was cool because like, it just gave me so much more confidence. I can walk into a gym and not be intimidated. I'm like, yes, like <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what the whole point was. So that I did that for seven years. I had seven like barbell programs. And when I left Ohio state to run my own business, again, I left a little over a year ago and I felt like something was missing. I was like, I just, don't, I mean, one-on-one -on -one coaching is great. I have a lot of female clients. I don't want to make it sound like I don't love that piece of it, but I missed the group. I missed like having a group of women to support each other. I miss speaking to a group about these topics. And so I was like, wait, I run my, like, I run my own business. Why can't I just make it? <laughs> I don't know why that was like such like an epiphany. Um, but my business coach actually gave me the idea. He was talking to me and now he was like, Hey, Alicia, why haven't you like pursued building a program like that in your business? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Great question. So that's kind of how the strength generator was built. I was like, well, let's start small here. Let's do a four week and see, you know, see if anyone bites, you know, and a lot of women bit and it filled. So that was awesome. And so I was like, well, that's cool because I would love to do more of these, you know? And so the strength generator is basically an online version of Buckeye barbells. Uh, what I did at Ohio state. So all the women get a program that is progressive overload based. It, it involves compound movements, but obviously with COVID it's catered to like what they have access to. So not everyone has a gym, which is cool. Like if you work out at home, we can do body weight progression. We could do band progression, dumbbell progression, 
anything can, can be progressed if you, if you're a good coach and you know, what you, and yeah. you know what you're doing. But so everyone gets a program, but we all meet once a week via zoom and same thing with barbells. We talk about those deeper topics. Like last Sunday was the first zoom and we talked about confidence in the gym, like talking about why, you know, like if you feel intimidated going into a gym, let's figure out the why, you know, is it because you're not confident in your education? Like you don't know what you're doing or are you feeling intimidated because you've had a, pa a bad experience in the past at the gym? Maybe a guy like made fun of you or maybe they hit on you or something happened to where we need to like rebuild a new narrative to then allow you to experience the gym safely, but also confidently. So that's not easy <laughs> to do because everyone's story is a little bit different. The reason why they're nervous is all different. So really figuring out why is so important. So that's kind of what we dived into or dove into on Sunday. And that's what the four weeks are going to look like. It's a group of women supporting each other through group me, Zooms. Everyone gets their individualized workout program. Um, it's all strength-based. There's no cardio in it. It's very intentional. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all strength. Um, and yeah, so we're seeing how it goes. But so far, it's awesome. So far, the women are all giving me good feedback, constructive, and also positive to make sure if I want, if I do something like this in the future, which I definitely plan to. So I'm going to hint at that. It's going to probably be like a 2.0 version. So yeah, that's essentially what it is. And I'm really excited to be doing it. I feel like my business is now more um, complete, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's so amazing. I mean, most women, they, that, that's their biggest thing is, you know, they, they don't feel comfortable in the gym. They don't know what to do in the gym. And Brandon and I actually, we work with a lot of younger female athletes. And that's one of the biggest things too, is they just, they look at it and they're intimidated and they don't have the confidence to say, oh, I can do this. And I think Brandon and I do, I'm going to brag on this a little for a second. I think we do a pretty oh, good yeah. job <laughs> of building up their confidence and and as you know as you start learning things and you get stronger and you see what you can do your mind is just blown and you're like dude I can do anything and yep. <laughs> yeah like watching a woman do their first like 95 pound deadlift is like the best thing ever because 95 pounds seems so heavy but how many women do you know can do that on the first day yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. a lot yeah, yeah. so that kind of rolls into this in terms of strength training and women in general. I, I would say the average woman that would come into any gym or fitness facility, and we see all the time because we do personal training, um, they think that to lose weight, they need to do cardio. They need to do more cardio, more cardio, right. and they don't think about the strength training aspect of it and where strength training plays a vital role in not only weight loss, but body recomposition. And we've already talked about the mental side and the empowerment. What, um, when it comes to strength training women, what is the, I, I want you to speak on this. I mean, I think me and Adrian kind of know, but uh, to have it echo from another voice and somebody that obviously does it for a living, what are, what is the importance of strength training for women physiologically um, compared to necessarily the male counterparts? Cause we, I'm sure we both know that the girl lifts two times. She's not going to hook out and look like me. Um, so kind of talk about the value of strength training physiologically for women's health and, uh, weight loss goals and things like that. Sure. So 
Yeah, I intentionally program as little cardio as possible. Uh, you know, and I do focus every single one of my clients strength train, like that's a kind of a non negotiable, in some capacity, you know, everyone's different, obviously, not everyone's gonna be doing the same thing, clearly, but there has to be some type of strength training program built in to see healthy and sustainable body composition change. And by body composition, I mean, fat loss and muscle gain, whether that's at the same time and or at separate phases, either way, the strength training protocol always has to be there, right? So, so with strength training, uh, there's just a lot of myths. There's a lot of bullshit around it. Um, I think it's getting better. I will say that. I mean, if I spoke on this like 15 years ago, I probably would have been more frustrated with it because I feel like because of powerlifting becoming more popular and bodybuilding and CrossFit, I feel like a lot of those um, stigmas have kind of surpassed and kind of at least um, are a little bit less uh, off, uh, frequent, I guess you could say. So, but at the same time, I still feel like there are um, plenty of women out there who still fear it or who still feel that it's going to negatively impede their fat loss efforts and or they might strength train, but they might just be doing Tracy Anderson bullshit, which is not strength training. It's like booty band, like God knows what lengthen the muscle. Okay. So that's <laughs> what we need to get away from as well. You know, actually progressively lifting heavier over time to build the muscle that we want to. So physiologically, you know, I always tell women like, this is what we talked about in the strength generator on Sunday about what is realistic, you know, in terms of how much muscle you build, how strong you get, you know, in comparison to a man. So if you're doing the same movements, the same, again, we talked about this as well. There's no magical movements for women. Like there's no magical strength training exercise. It's going to build your glutes better than it would a man's glutes. Like we all have glutes, y'all like the glutes, like <laughs> man's glutes, female glutes are all, it's all ass. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, the biggest thing is understanding that women or men just have a, such a different hormonal profile than a, than a female does. And I gave them the actual numbers. I was like, let's look at the actual numbers of what a healthy testosterone level is in a female. And we all know testosterone is a main driver of muscle growth. So let's look at women specifically, like what is a healthy range of testosterone for a woman? And typically it's 15 to 50. Like that's the range. And I always forget like the metrics or the units something per deciliter or whatever the hell, but 15 to 50, A, that range isn't that big. Men, it can be anywhere. And I'm going to say optimal for, for men. Like the ranges for like men, it's just, if you go to a doctor's office, it's like pitiful. They're like three something to like, if a 20 something year old man has like a 300 something of testosterone, they're basically seven years old. So let's just say that. <laughs> so I'm going to say like optimal for men is typically 500 to 1200. For like an optimal male. So if you compare that testosterone level to a female, you can see how drastic that is. <laughs> it's so yeah. drastic, you know, and a lot of, you know, younger men are going under testosterone replacement therapy because they're coming out with test levels of like two something and all these crazy things that is like the level of an 80 year old. So like, if you truly look at what's optimal for a, ma a man versus a woman comparatively in test levels, it's night and day. So you can't compare like your strength gains to a guy like you physically can't. And that's not bad. <laughs> you got to compare apples to apples, you know? So that's a physiological truth. Like that's just the reality. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what it is, but 
but yeah, so I, does that answer your question in terms of like, you're not going to get bulky because you don't have a test level of 500? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I kind of have, uh, you kind of answered it a little bit, but I know one of the things I struggle with just because most of the time I get so frustrated because I don't think I know how to communicate it properly to women about, um, not only the importance, but the fact of, Hey, you're going to look better naked. You want to look better. Like you don't want to be skinny fat. You want to have shape and you want to look good. Right. So you need to lift. This is, this is what's going to get you there. Um, but we actually, we have a client who bless her heart. I love her so much, but she's been with us for over a year now and she's still worried about getting bulky. And Brandon was like, you've been with us over a year now. Are you bulky yet? No. Right. Okay. No, <laughs> but, but she, she literally is still in that mindset. And, um, but I guess, do you have any, um, any advice on communicating that with female clients, the best, uh, if you have found a best way, I know obviously differs between person to person, but have you found a really good way to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Mindset stuff is the worst because it's so hard. Um, it's the worst and the best. It's the best to learn and to practice through as a coach, but it's also the hardest, you know, cause that can be such a barrier for someone. They could be doing all the right things, but their mindset is negative and, or just not logical. Then it can, it, it just makes things harder. So I think from that lens, if with a client who is consistently worried about being bulky, I think, again, it always comes back down to the why, like, why does taking up space bother you so much? You know, like literally like, yeah. you know, so, and I, those, it's hard to dive down. Like I've been on the phone. I've, I've scheduled calls with clients who are struggling mentally. And when we get on the phone, I'm kind of like, they're either going to fire me or love me. So we're going to see how this is going to go. Cause <laughs> sometimes, well, I mean, I push them to answer those questions. I'm like, you can get really uncomfortable. I don't care if you cry. I don't care if you yell at me. I don't care what happens. But at the end of the day, like, if you're not trusting what I'm telling you, or you're not believing the truth, then we need to figure out why, like, what's the resistance here? Like, where's this coming from? You know, and granted, I'm not a therapist, but God, I wish I was. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would be such a better coach. Because what I'm learning is, is coaching is so much more of just the mental side of it and pulling people out of their own way. And so that's the biggest thing. If I had a client like that, that was struggling with the bulky aspect, A, I love the fact that you bring up to her, Hey, it's been a year. Are you bulky yet? Like, that's a really good, like literal example. Like <laughs> yeah. it's not making them feel like an idiot, but it's also like making it funny and also like approachable and kind of like, Oh, you're right. Um, type of thing. But at the same time, getting down to the why is usually what I need to do for anything. Like if I'm feeling resistance with a client in any way, figuring out why that is. And you'd be surprised what people say. And sometimes it's very simple. And then sometimes it, they get really deep into their story and you're like, shit, there it is. Like, that's, that's it. Like, okay, now we got this. Let's unfold this. Let's, let's see, let's see what we can do here to kind of like, again, change the narrative as to what is true versus what you've been believing for so long. Cause what you believe is not always true. So it's like, you know, you have to kind of battle that a little bit with people in mindset, especially women who have believed something for a very, very long time, you know? So we can't also too, we, 
as coaches, we can't always expect to change someone's mindset. Like that's not a, we can't physically put that on ourselves. That's so much responsibility, but the only thing we can do is push them towards the truth. Like that's it. Like they have to then dig and, and, and trust the truth, but we can at least lead them there is, is the ultimate goal. Right. And I'll I'll add for that client specifically. I even, I'm the one that usually works with her in the morning because she's a 6 a.m. client. Um, I also told her because she does hex bar deadlifts and she's, she's older because she's not younger, but I also told her, I'm like, you know, if you're, if you're only hex bar deadlifting in like 115, don't worry, you're not going to get bulky lifting 115 pounds. Oh, it sounds like a lot, but your leverages are there. And I was like, you know, I, I'm going to trap bar deadlift four or 500 pounds. That's why I look the way that I do, because I need this kind of muscle to move that kind of weight. You don't, right. It's, it's, it's a two way street. Like you have to put on size and strength to go to move weight. But at the same time, like when you're moving weight, it's going to help you put on more size and strength. So like, if you're keeping your weights like that and at her age, like what she's deadlifting, like that's actually really great. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually great for her. Um, and I think she's gotten, she has gotten better about it. Uh, actually, she was also one of those chronic over exercisers. And that's something that I want to ask, talk to you about too. On the, on the flip side of the coin, what about the females that think if they're not exercising, they're going to get fat? What do you, what have you seen in the past on that? And how do you approach getting girls to slow down from an exercise standpoint, whether that be lifting and cardio or the cardio bunnies or the people that just think they got to lift seven days a week because if they don't lift, they're going to regress. Right. Well, even just to jump back on your previous question, like if, if a girl is really hesitant about lifting heavy, um, a, like I still use examples, like look at Julie Leduski, look at Jessica Martinez, like all these women that are not bulky by any means, like in real people clothes, they just look like athletic, but they're lifting hundreds and hundreds of pounds easily. <laughs> like yes. It's crazy. So, you know, it's just, I think showing social proof is really important and social proof. I mean, by other women who are doing similar things, training hard, training heavy. This is why I love Elite FTS. This is why I love the females on that team is because they're social proof of like, yeah, it doesn't make you bulky. Like there's so many women to give examples of that don't, you know, and, and also too, if you want to, who can, like bulky is such like a, like a, a vague bullshit term. What if you want to look like that? fucking go for it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, we can't always put a negative tone on it, um, per se, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you have to understand what's real, like what's really going to happen from a stimulus, um, and not be pushed by emotion, not be pushed by things you've believed out of emotional fear. Uh, that's not, has no validity, um, and no logic and no research behind it, but there's nothing to prove that actually that's what happens without some type of like performance enhancing drug. So if you aren't taking performance enhancing drugs, then you girl, you're good. You lift that weight. You're, you're going to be, you're fine. But in terms of, uh, over exercise, over exercisers, I deal with that a lot. And I will tell you, I don't have all the answers for that. Um, again, I think it stems down to, there's definitely a deeper why into the, why they feel the need to chronically do anything. And this is, this stems to not only working out, but also how someone like leads their life. So I think overtraining, overworking comes from a a scarcity type of mindset. Like you chronically feel like if you're not in it, if you're not doing the thing, 
then you're not getting better at the thing or you're not successful at the thing. And that comes That's from me. a shit ton of, yeah, a shit ton <laughs> of scarcity. So like, it's not, not always does it come from like body image or it comes from like the typical female mantra of like why they overexercise, but it could be like, maybe they have a deep rooted scarcity for some reason. Maybe they grew up really, really poor and now they work their ass off and that translates to exercise. They feel like if they don't constantly do, 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 they're going to be poor. They're going to be weak. They're going to get fat. Like it turns into like a cyclical, like mental shit show of scarcity. So that's just one example. But I think that's the hard part. It's like, there's really no like one stream answer of like, you just got to read what current research says. Like, that's not, <laughs> yeah, it's typically not, they typically know, but it's coming from something else. You know, maybe it's coming from a control thing. Maybe they have some OCD shit going on. And again, I'm not a therapist, but with working with so many women, I find that it's, it's just mindset. Like there's something else going on where they feel the need to chronically train. Now, if it is coming from a true fear of like, fat gain and or, um, you know, just not looking the way they want or whatever it is, we can teach that. Like we can teach education on that. Like, okay, like here's social proof of all my clients who don't do cardio and they look great. There's, there's that. So social proof help helps, but like also education, um, and trust. Like I always ask them, why did you hire me if you don't trust me? You know, like if you came to me because you said your clients on Instagram look great, then trust me, they look great for a reason because they're not burning themselves out. You know, they're not getting injured. <laughs> they're not under eating. So like it's that, that's part of it too. Sometimes there's just a trust thing and that's another why. Why don't you trust people? <laughs> it just, it turns into this thing. So I feel like there's so much mental behind it. And as a coach, it's kind of our responsibility to dig and find out what that is before just labeling at it as like, oh, they're just a cardio bunny. Or, oh, they just don't know any better. Mm, sometimes they do know better. It's just a matter of they can't get past that boundary. They need support. They need someone almost to give them permission to slow down a little bit and say, I'm a professional. I'm looking at you and I'm telling you, you will see more success if you slow down and eat more. And sometimes that's all they need. They just need to be validated. They, just, <laughs> they need to know that they have someone in the corner that is telling them what to do that, that is honest and that they trust. Yeah. Um, kind of also leading into the next question, because it is really, really similar to overtraining. Um, how do you communicate with the women who are under eating? And again, I think like you were saying, a lot of stuff comes down to mental, uh, mental thoughts, like things that are going on, underlying issues. And I think under eating is, something that I see with even our young athletes, female athletes, and even it actually, we've seen it with some of our young male athletes as well, but so many people, they tell me what they eat. And I mean, even whenever I first started working with you, you moved my calories up by, I don't know, like 500 calories. And I started losing weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, again, even like knowing a little bit about nutrition, I was still thinking, you know, Hey, this is what I need to do. You know, like eat less and, you know, move more like, you know, that's simple. Everybody can do that. But how do you 
talk with women about that because I think that's a really tough issue to say to someone, hey, you need to eat about double what you're eating right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I will say flat out, like this is the hardest conversation to have and I'll be completely transparent. I do not always cross over people. Like I do not always um, convince a woman to, to follow what I'm trying to say, you know, and that sucks. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's their choice, you know, if they don't, if I can't get through to them, then I, the only thing I can do is do my best, you know, and there's definitely a handful of women that I've gotten through to, I would say the vast majority, but there's always those few that it's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe it comes from actually many times it comes from them. They worked with the previous coach who starved the shit out of them. So that's the only, and they saw results, mind you. Yes. If you starve to death, eventually you're going to, <laughs> uh, duh, like you're going to get leaner. Um, so that's the only thing they know. And so if anyone has ever gone through a contest prep where you literally have to starve at some point, like that's just be real. You don't get that lean by eating maintenance level calories. So like, you know, anyone who's been through a contest prep, who's gotten so lean, especially a, a woman who hormonally cannot sustain that level of leanness where a man can sustain close to it, depending on how lean they get. Um, what your mind does when your hormones are completely shut down is I can't even explain it. Like any competitor can explain your mind just, just changes. You get extreme body dysmorphia. You, you crave food as you're eating. Like you don't even have your hunger cues and like your brain and stomach communication is just not even there. Like your brain just wants food, 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 food all the time. So think about coming from like that situation, say like you starved and you did some crazy shit and you gained all this weight back and plus some, and now you're trying to find someone else to help you. And they tell you to eat 2000 calories a day. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, you're going to make me fatter. No. Like, and all this negative shit starts to spiral. And that's the hardest when I get people that come from other coaches because these women looked up to them as an authority, did the thing, got lean, but couldn't stay there. So they think by default, and I've actually had some other coaches like tell girls this, that it was their fault, that they must have not have tracked macros well. Like they, it's their fault they're binging. It's no. their fault. They, they, yeah. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, <laughs> that's literally what goes through my head. Cause I'm like, no, you set them up for failure. You made them eat 800 calories a day for six months. You did that. That's, that's on you. Not, yeah. not the athlete. Like, you know, um, I don't care what waivers these people sign. Like that's on you. That's a liability. So like, anyway, that's the thing. So if you get a client who's been through that already, that's, that's my hardest is when they've already been through something like that and they try to do something different, but even though they want the healthy result, they're terrified of how to get there. But, you know, so that's, that's a thing. But then also some girls just don't understand true metabolic capacity. You know, they don't understand how much they truly can eat. You know, if you're training hard, you know, you can eat a lot. Like you are yeah. not an infant, you know, you <laughs> should not be eating and, and you do not, no one thrives off 1200 calories a day. No one, an infant eats more than that. So it's, you know, if you're training hard, and your metabolism has truly adapted to eating 1200 calories a day, guess what the answer is? You have to eat more. You have to, you have to reverse out of it. You know, you can't sustain it. So, you know, luckily I've had a client recently 
who, and I thank her almost every single check-in I have with her. I'm like, thank you for trusting me. Cause I swear to God, <laughs> I thought you're going to be the one of the one, one of the ones that, you know, peaced out. But she came to me again, eating 1300 calories was super inflamed. Like looking at her, I could tell with the muscle she had on her. I was like, there's no way in hell that like you need to eat more. This is ridiculous. So I was like, girl, trust me. I want to increase your calories over time. Do you trust me? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and we did it. So I bumped her up two hundred, just 200 and then another two weeks, 200. So I literally bumped her up 200 calories every like two weeks or so, um, for the past, however many weeks. And she lost weight because her, her body was not stressed. Her metabolism adapted, which it should y'all like your metabolism moves. It's dynamic. It's not like this rigid thing. So her metabolism adapted she feels better. Her cycles are more normal, like all of these things. And I'm like, yeah, because if you're eating too little for too long, your body's going to adapt to that hormonally, metabolically. So you're not setting yourself up to be like this metabolic furnace. You're setting yourself just to be like burnt out with cold water, you know, and you can't do anything from there. You can't, what's the answer? Oh, I'm eating 1300 calories. Now I'm going to eat 800. Like, no, that's not a feasible answer. So you have to give yourself room to play. So now we have her about 2,100 calories and she's still leaner than she was <laughs> when she was eating 1,300 and is way less inflamed. So I, I thank her every day. I'm like, thanks for listening to me. She's like, no, thank you. I'm like, this is like a high five party. But <laughs> she just is a prime example as to why starving doesn't work. And she has PCOS. So that's a whole other thing. I'm like, eating more is going to alleviate your symptoms. So like all of that stuff. So Anyway, it's, it's a spiel of like social proof of like, this is what happens when you don't starve. Um, this is, you know, what happens when you actually trust someone that has your health in mind, not just like getting a before and after picture and not giving a shit if you rebound 30 pounds after, you know, but there are those cases where like sometimes women truly do like get, they, maybe they dieted for too long and now they have like hypothyroid issues. I can't fix your thyroid. Like no one can sit there and fix your thyroid. Like you have to eat more, but you might have to be medicated. You might have to see a doctor. So it's like at that point, that's even harder because the answer is to eat more and you might gain weight. Sorry. Yeah. But like if your thyroid is suboptimal and like hypothyroid, and I can speak on this from experience, I have hypothyroidism. I had to get treated for it. My hormones are a shit show, you know, so I, I get it. You know, it does happen, but it's like, what's the alternative? Continue to undereat and make your thyroid worse and potentially get Hashimoto's now. Okay. <laughs> An autoimmune disease. That's cool. Yeah. Or you can say, I'm going to suck it up and solve the problem, eat at a maintenance or surplus level to like rebuild as best I can any type of like deficiency that I have and my carbohydrates to stimulate my thyroid to keep it as healthy. And if I need to be medicated, I can work with a professional to do so. But like, you can't just like ignore it. <laughs> you can't yeah. just, you know, beat your thyroid to death and think that you're going to live like that and not see hair loss and not see like potential Hashimoto's and not see like weight gain. Duh. Like you have to fix it. So that was a lot. So I feel like <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> there's just, there's just a lot of like rabbit holes you can go down to when women don't eat enough. Yeah, for sure. I, I think something you touched on briefly, and I know you have on your social media in the past with <clears throat> that being like contest lean, and I know we're talking about contests, but even 
any of our listeners that are parents or like athletes or more athletic based backgrounds, they think that being lean is healthy. And especially for, and this goes both ways, men or women, there's a, there's a breaking point where being lean is no longer healthy. Once you pass a certain point of leanness or the place where your body has a nice uh, balance point of, of homeostasis where you're not too lean and you're not too fat. Right. Um, and your hormone leaks around, like your hormone level is good. And I, I will admit that Adrian's seen this. I've actually been trying to actually put on a little bit of weight and get a little bit stronger because I don't know when I'm going to compete next with COVID. It's to be determined. And I bet I've upped my calories on average 500, 600 calories a day probably. And I every every week I'm like, I'm not over 150. What the hell? What, why are my calories going up and I'm still not gaining weight? Um, and so to, for other people to feel like validated, like it happens with guys too. I was probably actually under eating for what I needed because I move more than I, I think I do. But talking about the, the leanness health issue, I mean, you kind of just briefly talked about it with the hormonal thing, but um, maybe why not being super lean for the, let's say like the normal athlete or female, what that does hormonally um, further testosterone and estrogen and menstrual cycles and, and things like that. Why being at least not contest lean is a good thing from that standpoint. Right. So the thing is, everyone's different. You know, I see with my clients there, I swear to God, there's just genetic freaks out there. There's some women who can be in the teens of body fat, not low teens. I'm talking like 15 or higher, which is still like, you can probably see visible abs if you're 50%, but like, um, you have a normal cycle, don't have any weird symptoms, but they're the ones eating 2,300 calories to stay like that. That's another thing. So they don't have any micro deficiencies. So there are some women who can naturally just stay leaner and still have a very, very healthy hormone pro profile metabolism. That's genetics, everybody. <laughs> so I'm just throwing it out there. Not everyone is given that card. So you have to be honest with, with yourself about the card you're given. And you don't want to necessarily look at that in like a limiting way but in a reality way, like how can I optimize me as a human? Like what's optimal for me? Stop comparing yourself to other people who have different parents, you know? So in reality, you know, yes, everyone wants to walk or all the, all girls want to walk around with a six pack, da, da, da. But until I just have a different view on this because I've experienced it. I've seen athletes experience it, but when you've actually had visible abs, that's when I feel like you realize how, insignificant that is like in in terms of happiness and in terms of how you feel no alicia me, why you gotta ruin this for me <laughs> no i'm just being real i'm being real for you yeah, yeah Ad adrian wants to do figure and i'm like girl i'll i'll try to get you there but i'm just gonna be honest with you your health comes first so yeah. i say with all my clients who want to do a show i'm like you know i will prep you but once if you if you get to a point where i know that you're gonna have to quote unquote go there to like be competitive, I'm going to pull the plug. And I don't give a shit if people fire me for that because at least I have a conscious conscience that I'm not hurting this woman long-term. So that's a whole other thing. But, you know, I, I had visible abs, like obviously when I competed and I can't even tell you how life-sucking that was for me. You know, how much I had to undereat, how much cardio I had to do every day, how much I had to train. It was just unsustainable, but also I was miserable. Like I didn't have energy past 7 PM. So if my friends wanted to go out, I'm like, I can't, I just have to lay on the couch and just, just can just 
keep my energy reserved as much as possible so I don't pass out. Like, <laughs> like that's how brutal it was. So if you think about an athlete, someone, now granted, obviously bodybuilders are athletes, but not in the sense of like a softball player or a basketball player or a swimmer. Girl, you won't be successful at your sport. You won't. And you're going to feel like shit. So typically if anyone's under 20%, if a female's under 20% body fat, typically that's in like the sketch range. Like you're probably going to feel like shit if you're in the teens of body fat, unless you are genetically just gifted. Um, that's just normal. Like if your hormones are not optimal and again, your hormones cannot be optimal unless you have a healthy amount of body fat for you as a human. So just imagine if your estrogen is now tanked, your testosterone's tanked, um, your thyroid is looking like shit. How are you supposed to perform? You're not going to be strong. You're not going to have any endurance you're not going to do well. So if your goal say as a female athlete is you want to get a college scholarship or something, bye, <laughs> like you're going to yeah. get beat, you know, you're not going to win. So it's like, you know, where is the benefit to risk ratio for you? Where's your priority? Is your priority to be healthy, you know, to be fertile one day, if that's your choice, or to even just have like an optimal level of living and wellness and to be great at your sport, you need hormones. If your hormones are shit, Good luck to you. And over dieting will drop your testosterone. And that's a, and yes, women have to have testosterone, obviously. So if you're on like the lower end range of healthy or below, you're not going to be strong. Like it's going to be really, really hard for you to put on and build muscle. Yeah. So that comes with over dieting. It comes with your fat storage being too low. So there's things to consider. And let's not even talk about things like PCOS, like, like over dieting and under eating that can potentially cause, you know, PCOS down the road where then you have all these weird, you know, hormone imbalances. Your like estrogen is crazy. Your progesterone shit, like your testosterone, you're super high in the androgen side. So then you, it's all these different symptoms. Like, you know, you should have to think of these things. It's not just the short-term instant gratification mindset, but think long-term Think: Do I want to be a college athlete and be good, you know, and do I just want to like have a happy life? <laughs> like, yeah. And not be miserable. Yeah. We have, um, young female clients that a lot of the time, so we don't really work specifically with nutrition. We're working on that because we, we obviously know how important it is, but, um, I totally forgot where I was going with that right now. Oh, that's right. Um, but we, we have a lot of younger clients that they, literally I get to have a five minute conversation with them while they're working out, you know, we'll just be like, Hey, what'd you eat today? You know, what are you doing? And we have one, one client in mind that I'm thinking of, she's an awesome athlete, but when she told me what she was eating, she actually does three sports, three sports right now, which is ridiculous. Um, right. and then she also comes in strength trains, which when she comes to us, we obviously work with that and we lower yeah. her workload a little bit, but she was telling me what she eats and I was like, Oh girl, <laughs> you need like double to triple of this, but it's hard to communicate that with, I think with athletes, it's a little bit easier because they have the mindset of whatever I need to do, I'm going to do it. So I'll be the best. Right. But right. Again, sometimes there is still some underlying issues. And I mean, she's a teenager and you know, you're going through puberty and which, which right now, this is the time that she needs to be having all these good foods and all this food because oh yeah like 
her body is changing. Like it needs all this stuff. But we definitely have run into that with male and female athletes that are usually younger. And it is a really, it's a difficult conversation to have with mom and dad because mom and dad don't even know what good nutrition is. So how are they supposed to feed their kid? For sure. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that we run into. And obviously we want to be able to help them because we know, like you were saying, all of the negative side effects that can come from just not eating enough. And not just short-term, long-term, like obviously you're a great athlete. And for our athletes, many, many a time our job is to help them. I like to think that if your kid is coming to see us, a division one scholarship is probably at least the long side of what you're thinking whether the kid's right. in or the kid's 17. Like, you're not going to come spend the money to strength train and become better at athletics if there's not a, a reward system after high school. I mean, I do think for that sure. it teaches you great things, like you talked about with Buckeye Barbells and the confidence. I think that's for sure, but I don't know anybody that invests in it for that reason. To us, that's the added benefit. It's more than sets and reps and right, right. scholarships. But um, when we're looking – long term with those kids we want them to see that there's also healthy factors from the weight room and nutrition that's going to carry after your collegiate career is done because then you're going to have a job and feed yourself and your kids and your wife and your husband whatever um so i i think that she kind of segued this into me as well is that usually we see the number one there's the two problems for the girls it's usually total food and or protein consumption and for the guy that's maybe not performing at their best. Usually it's, they're not having enough carbohydrate consumption to fuel their training. They might, they're just eating junk food and right. a lot more fat and a lot more, you know, garbage in there where it could be like, you probably are hitting your protein intake by accident. Um, but you know, your carbohydrates are not optimal for your performance. So I guess on the female side of things, as I want to gear this more towards females, talk a bit about the role of the value of the protein in the every meal and why girls need to make sure that's probably the first thing they put on their plate in more cases than not, um, instead of just skipping out and getting one thing of chicken tenders for the day. Right. Yep. So protein is definitely the most underconsumed macronutrient when it comes to, to women, for sure. Uh, so it can, it can both go both ways. So with protein intake, it depends if you're, are you working with an athlete or you're working with someone with, you know, body composition In reality, they both need it. Like they both need a lot of it. So I just educate my clients on how much they need a day. Um, typically a good rule of thumb. Now, granted, this can definitely vary and it depends on a million different things, but typically one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So how can we like fit that into, um, a girl's eating regimen? Right. So essentially it, it depends on where their starting point is. Like if I have a client or a, a girl coming to me that they give me their food log. So I have everybody do like a, a three day food logs and kind of see on average what they're doing. If they come to me eating only like 50 grams of protein a day, which has definitely happened, which is only like two servings roughly. Um, that to me, like, do you think is even though the standard of protein intake is technically roughly like one gram per pound of body weight, assuming they're not obese, is it, intelligent to take someone for 50 grams all the way to say they weigh 160. No, like <laughs> they would have digestive distress and, or they would hate me and feel like just, it wouldn't be good. So there's a progression. So really all of it is it's, it's education. Why do you need X amount of protein, you know, for your goal? What does it do for you? 
how do you actually split that up into meals? So if you know, if I can teach an athlete or teach a female that if they need this many grams of protein in a day, well, how much is that per meal? Is that 30 grams? Is that, you know, 25 grams? Is it 50, whatever it is. If you at least give them like, this is how you can split it up throughout the day. That makes it easier to swallow versus just saying you need 160 grams of protein a day. Like that's like what? super daunting and they have no type of like plan of action. But, you know, social proof is huge because typically, again, and this is why I kind of show this on my Instagram, I show it to my new clients of what it looks like when a woman goes from eating subpar protein levels after say six months, what they look like <laughs> and what they're lifting, that social proof kind of says it all, like teaches them, like if your protein intake is shit, you're not going to be as strong. Like you're not period. And you're not going to lose body fat as efficiently. You're not, you know, it's, it's different than fats and carbs. Like protein is just different. So having adequate protein intake is the number one thing that I fix. The first thing that I fix in like a female's diet, hundred percent. Sometimes if I have someone brand new to nutrition, they're not really sure, like, you know, just never have, have, you know, tracked anything before or what have you. That's the first thing I do I say, okay, don't overthink it. We're going to talk, we're just going to look at protein. That's it. Really? Yep. <laughs> Cause if you can get that down, the, the biggest piece is, is done, right? We can fill the holes with fats and carbs later. Like all I want you to do is focus on protein intake. That's it. So that's always a primary. Um, it's, it's just a priority with, with every female client that I have, because you're a, you're not going to look the way you want. Um, and you're not going to train hard. You're not going to feel good training. You're not going to be as strong as you could be. Your potential is not going to be seen if your protein intake is too low and don't even get started on like the effects it has in your brain, the effects it has, you know, on your skin and nails and like everything else that protein is the building blocks of your body. It literally is. It's not just, it doesn't just say that in a textbook. Like it literally is. So you know, I can't tell you how many clients I've had that have come to me already anemic, um, again, from being a vegan, no offense to vegans, but if you're an idiot and you're a vegan, like it's not going to work. Like, <laughs> you know, you have to like mentally, like if to, to do that, you have to really, really, really focus on the quality of sources of your protein. Um, if you do any type of restrictive diet, I'm not saying you can't be vegan, but especially if you love animals, get down with your bad self, but you have to be very mindful of, okay, if I want to choose this lifestyle, how do I get the appropriate amount of essential amino acids? So A, <laughs> I get enough micros, but B, I also have the building blocks of my body. Um, so it's, there's a lot to it. I feel like, again, as long as there's education involved of like why you need X amount of protein, what it's doing for your body. And also the alternative, like, again, I've had clients come to me who literally were like, I just had a blood transfusion because I'm so anemic. Help me. <laughs> and it's like, how much protein have you been eating? Like, what's it look like? And usually it's like 50 grams of nothing but like quinoa and, and beans and like, you know, all this stuff. There's no like other sources of iron or B12. Like there's none of it. And I'm like, yeah, like, ugh. <laughs> I, you know? I told one of the kids the other day that they were, I was asking them how much, uh, protein they were eating if they had an idea like you know if you had a chicken any kind of chicken today or any beef or 
or eggs. And then, you know, it, it was, it was on a low side. It was maybe 40 or 50 grams for the whole day. I said, you know, when you, when you play sports and when you lift weights and you train hard, you, you purposely are des- destroying your muscles in terms of training. Like they, they obviously stay together, but like you're causing, you're intentionally causing damage and trying to become better. And what you're, what you're basically doing is you're going through all this training, but you're not giving yourself the ability to get better because you're not eating enough protein to, to build what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And that, um, it's not that, you know, uh, that you, it's that you're purposely not trying to eat it. You just need to be more mindful of what you're putting on your plate or with the first thing you go to grab, or when you go out to eat, what you're, you're thinking about, like, think about, think about your performance first, whenever you go to eat, not what your friends and everything else. I mean, there's social constructs involved and you can, I want to talk to you about some of it as well. I mean, you can still eat what you want, but put on your plate first what you need and then if right. you want a little bit more then add on there what you what you want with that with that meal because you're you as an active athlete like your your performance is based upon muscles and if you're not going to give your muscles what they have you're just going to be you know practicing your sport and not getting any better your goal is to get to get better so that kind of got me to what I wanted to ask next was talking about Everyone talks about if it makes your fits your macros, yay or nay, or you need to always eat healthy, don't eat fast food. Talk about the balance of nutrition. I think when we talk to athletes and parents, I think a lot of people think that we're saying, oh, you got to eat like a bodybuilder. And we highly push that your kid's 12 to 15 years old. They're going to eat French fries. They're going to eat a cheeseburger. They're going to eat a slice of pizza. Like that's okay. They're kids. They, they can do that, but that shouldn't be the, the bulk of their nutrition the bulk of their nutrition should be some color and some protein. And then if they're out with their friends to so talk about how to find balance, maybe also obviously with your clients and maybe how you do that, but how the average parent or athlete might look at that approach of having a, a balanced meal with uh, also what they want to eat. For sure. So the one thing I preach the most is that if your nutrition is not fitting into your lifestyle, then there's an issue. You shouldn't be trying to fit, like make your lifestyle fit into a nutrition plan. Like let's flip it, you know, let's see what realistically can work for you. And the reality is the more restrictive you are by removing food groups or removing gluten, even though you don't have celiac or something, whatever, the more restrictive and the more removing again, scarcity mindset you are, the more unsustainable it's going to be. And it's going to set you up for food issues down the road in terms of unhealthy relationships with food, labeling foods as good or bad. That's incredibly important when you are a parent and you're teaching your kid, especially a young girl, how to eat. Let's, we can go down that rabbit hole, but (laughs) that's, that's huge. So the less restrictive you are, um, the more sustainable it's going to be. So I love teaching macros. Um, to the right way. (laughs) I don't like teaching macros as a free for all. I like teaching macros with the combination of the 80, 20 rule, right? So 80% of your food again is whole, it's colorful veggies. Your plate has multiple food sources on it. It's, you're not just eating the same shit every day, 80, 20, and then 20% of your food can be pizza. You know, it can be ice cream. It could be whatever it is. 
Uh, that is more sustainable and the tracking piece of it, the understanding how many macronutrients you need in the day, understanding that together builds not only mindfulness, but also sustainability and flexibility. So you really have to find a mix of it. And it's, it's, I feel like it's challenging with kids, um, a little bit as a parent, because I mean, I feel like kids listen to probably you guys more than their parents. <laughs> Um, I feel like Probably. because they, you know, because when mom and dad tell you to like do something, you're just like, Oh God. And you're <laughs> versus <laughs> if your coach is telling you, you might take it a little bit better, um, in that realm. But if I was a parent, you know, and I had kids in sport, well, just in general, I would make sure again, there's a serving of protein on their plate with every meal, like that type of thing. Um, again, kids don't have to be crushing 200 grams of protein a day, of course, but there should be a serving of protein on their plate, like with every meal. And, you know, how like nice is it now that protein shakes take, taste delicious? You know, there's so many foods now taste amazing that are healthy or that aren't complete, just garbage. So that in mind, like you don't have to give a kid Snickers every day to feed their sweet tooth. There's so many healthy options now that can like just be palatable for a kid, which is great, but there has to be balance. You, you can't expect your kid to eat nothing but chicken and broccoli and thrive. Absolutely not. And, you know, I do work with some quote unquote kids. I work with anyone who's 16 to 18. I typically don't go below that. Um, but I have, I've worked with a swimmer, um, a high school swimmer. Cause I worked with her mom. That was kind of like the deal. I'm like, I'll work with you because you are the one that buys the food <laughs> and I'll work with your daughter kind of together. Um, and it worked out really, really well, um, in that realm, but basically it's just finding that balance and understanding your daughter's an athlete she needs to eat. Like it might seem weird that I'm giving her like 2000 calories a day, but like, that's literally what she needs. Um, so it's just, a, it's education between both fronts, but at the same time, there has to be balance. I love teaching macros. So people are aware of how much protein, carbs, and fats and fiber they're getting in a day. I think that's extremely valuable information. Is it overwhelming to track everything every five seconds for some people? Yes. You can still do portions and they can still learn how much they're eating in a day. They can still have a ballpark. But does that mean you should just eat nothing but healthy foods all the time? No, because it's not realistic. Your kid is going to go nuts and you as an adult are probably going to go nuts. Um, very few people I know, unless they're bodybuilders, can sustain the same diet over and over and over and over again with a, with zero flexibility. That's not realistic, you know, for most people. So why would you implement a strategy for performance and or fat loss if it's not sustainable? Yeah. Um, that that's a really good, good point. And we, we try to talk about that as well with our parents and our athletes is like, it, it, it has to be sustainable and they're based upon their activity level and how much they move. I mean, as you know, kids are, they're hyper. And I don't like to use, use that word, but they're always full of energy and ready to go. They very rarely need like, once they get to like middle school age, they don't need a nap to conk out to make it through the second half of the day like they do in elementary school. Like they can just get up and go and they usually do well. And in terms of being sports, that your kid moves a lot more than you think they do. And that requires food to be able to do that. And especially once you start getting to the high school level and it starts getting competitive and you're doing endurance-based sports, um, the value of carbohydrates producing energy and all that, well, that, that that's exactly what we try to, to preach them. So that for my next part that me and Adrian wrote down was what are the, this is almost kind of like a, 
a rant time for Adrian. What are, or not Adrian for for you, Alicia? What are the common fads and myths that just make you want to throat punch somebody? <laughs> oh gosh, there's so many. <laughs> Give me a minute. Give me a minute. I'm sure you see a Do lot hear- of them on a daily basis. I know. It's like, which one do I want to pick today? Um, hmm. So I would say, I mean, a huge one is again, specifically because I work with so many women is like the fear on fear of carb movement, like not necessarily like keto per se, but like the just pure fear of eating carbohydrates. So that that's a big one. Um, I have to overcome with my clients, especially again, if they came from like a different person or a different program and were vastly under eating. For example, I recently had a client who came to me and their previous coach um, had them on 40 grams of carbs, 40, like that's vegetables, everybody. Like, like, I don't know how you get your fiber intake in with 40 grams of carbs, unless you just eat vegetables. So that's daily. And she trained, she was like a power lifter too. So I'm like, Oh, perfect. Um, so that, and trying to convince someone that actually let's try 190, yeah. <laughs> you know, is, is really challenging. Oh, the puppy's here. Sorry. Yes. They probably can't I had to go get Denali. He was just, he's been whining at the gate the whole time we've been talking. <laughs> oh, he just wants to participate. And I, I understand. I understand. But yeah, the low carb stuff is like a huge, huge, huge myth. Like you do not have to eliminate a food source or a macronutrient in order to see fat loss. You only have to achieve a caloric deficit in which you can do any way that you want, as long as protein is at a healthy level. That's it. That's the recipe, you know? So if you like carbs, eat them. (laughs) They're not magically putting fat on you as like any differently than any other macronutrient would, as long as calories are controlled, it doesn't matter, you know? So why wouldn't you, I don't know, take in your primary fuel source? Like to me, that's going to make you feel better, perform better, like all these different things. And let's not even talk about from a thyroid perspective, your thyroid gets stimulated by carbohydrates. Therefore, if you eat too low of carbohydrate for so long, even if your calories aren't crap, even if they're not super low, you will still see a downregulation in thyroid function. Like that's been proven. Like that's, you know, so why as a female would you want to downregulate your thyroid on purpose? Like you wouldn't at all. So the fear on carbs is probably like the worst myth out there. Um, so yeah, if, if anyone's kind of gotten a hint, I do not remove carbs from people's plans ever. <laughs> um, that's probably the hardest. And that's probably the number one thing when parents do come about their kids, maybe like losing weight and like, Oh, you know, should we just go low carb? I'm like, your kid mm-hmm. plays athletics. Um, carbohydrate is an amazing fuel source for power and speed. And you're coming here to improve power and speed. Um, yeah. <laughs> not do that. Um, right. Eat a little less food and let's eat some more vegetables and, you know, focus on, like you said, focus on protein. And I think we'll make some headway that way first, before we start taking your kids, uh, gas from their from their tank for their performance standpoint and then you wonder why they look sluggish when they're playing yeah no 100 percent. that's easily the, the biggest one that i see is the carb the carb monster <laughs> it's like this uh imaginary thing that people are scared of yeah it's okay, just so not the last 
main question that we have on some Adrian's got another one that uh, happens to pop up um, and it's a little bit taboo and uh, me being a guy, I can't really relate a whole lot, but menstrual cycles with women in terms of nutrition and sport, I think in the body building world, I know it's a little bit more popular that if you're a girl and you're dieting and you don't lose your period, it's thinking that you're not lean or dieting enough. Um, but maybe yeah. from like the athletic standpoint, um, you know, how it's not necessarily the healthiest thing to not have that menstrual cycle, especially as a young girl, um, and why nutrition can play a vital, important role of not only having that, but, you know, maybe what are some of the consequences of not having that, especially once you've hit that puberty-based age and stage of their, your life? Right. Well, I can go on the flip side and say any competitor that I've had that never lost their period I like high-fived. I'm like, yes, we did it right. <laughs> you know, so kind of the opposite because yeah, like you said, um, if you are training super hard, if you are dieting and super lean as a female, yeah, your reproductive system is going to quote unquote shut off. Uh, you're not in a good place to have kids. It's basically all your body's saying. It's like, we got to conserve energy. You're not in a place to have kids right now anyway. So we're just going to turn this baby off <laughs> and utilize energy elsewhere. So you don't starve to death and, or just overtrain and just, you know, go into a caloric deficit so much that, you know, you're in trouble. So that's why that does that in the first place. So you have to ask yourself, okay, if my body is in a stressed enough state to turn off, literally one of the most important systems in a female kind of got to ask yourself, is that the best way to go about what I'm doing? You know, and it happens a lot with um, younger girls who are super active and, and sadly, you know, I've seen this with my niece. My niece is a soccer player, um, super, super good. She's going to get a college scholarship. She's one of those for sure. And she's had like inconsistencies with her, you know, you know, cycle and what have you all throughout, you know, as being a kid, she was so active, you know, and it wasn't until recently where she got some blood work done and they found she was hypothyroid. And yeah, that goes hand in hand. So if your kid isn't having a cycle and they're eating enough, there might be some thyroid correlation there. So it's important and which I'm so happy my older sister did, they got blood work done to see what was going on. Um, and so you, you can't ignore it, it's a sign. If you're not having a cycle, your body's telling you something's not right and it's not sustainable. And the thing is, if you go without a cycle for a long period of time, A, at first it might seem cool, right? You know, the kid or like the, the, the woman might think, I don't have a, I haven't had my period for two years, you know, whatever, <laughs> which I get. It's very like, and trust me, I didn't have my cycle for seven years because I was on birth control and I never had it. So trust me when I say it was glorious, <laughs> but now I'm kind of reaping the negative effects of that, you know, coming off of birth control and trying to figure out what the hell is going on with my hormones. Um, cause I put a bandaid on it for so long. So the same concept of someone is having issues with their cycle, not having their cycle, that's a sign something is wrong. So the longer you go, the harder it's going to be to fix it. So you have to ask yourself, do you want to be on hormone replacement the rest of your life? Do you want to be infertile? Do you want hypothyroidism? <laughs> like that, those all are connected. So as a female, and especially as a parent, 
of a daughter, if she's really active, you know, pay attention, like, you know, ask her about her, like, keep an open concept, like you've open communication of like, talk to your kids about their reproductive system. So it's not awkward. It's normal. No one gives a shit, you know, talk to them about it. So to make sure it's normal, you know, don't let your child go years without a cycle and think, Oh, they're just active. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously? Like yeah. at their puberty, their growing age, something is wrong with their progesterone and estrogen. And you can't even, you know, do you not think that's going to affect testosterone too? And their thyroid? Absolutely. It will. So you can't ignore it. Even if it's like fun, I don't have a cycle, da, da, da. but that's not normal. Sadly, you know, it's not. So anyway, um, keep, you have to keep an eye on it. You, you can't just ignore the fact that you don't have a cycle, even if it's, it seems cool. And there's no gold trophy for anyone who gets on stage at a bodybuilding show and said, I haven't had my period for six months. <laughs> you don't get a special medal for that. <laughs> no one cares. So why would you not do it the healthy way and walk on stage and be like, I never missed my cycle. Therefore, when I reverse out of this show, I won't have hormone issues. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a way better option. Yeah. You kind of answered this a little bit with the recommendations for, for parents, because I've actually, I've been approached by parents about their female athletes not having their period or like skipping or whatever. And um, I'm definitely going to use that now. Just like, Hey, if they're not, and they should be, something is wrong. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of always just like asking about food and stuff, but do you have any other recommendations? Like go to the doctor, know what your kid's eating or et cetera, or anything like that? Yeah. So if you have a daughter and they're again, in their puberty years, they're not having a cycle or maybe it's super inconsistent or what if it's like really extreme? What if their cycles are really symptomatic, super heavy, like very debilitating? Some women get like fevers and stuff like they call it period flu. Okay. So clearly you should have some symptoms of ovulating. You should have some symptoms of like your actual luteal phase. Right. But if it's to the point where it's extreme and or it's not happening at all, both of them need to be addressed. So that's another thing I feel like sometimes parents and just people in general don't really address the extreme issues, like on the opposite end. Like, why is my 16-year-old daughter having ovarian cyst burst? Yeah. Not normal. Why is my 16-year-old daughter getting like flu symptoms? not normal. Like, you know, so what I would say is working with a functional practitioner or progressive, I hear you use the word progressive on purpose, endocrinologist. Um, and what I mean by that is a functional practitioner is someone who uses more than just Western medicine. So a functional practitioner is more up to date with current research. They are more up to like natural remedies. They don't just put you on medicine. They do blood work to like see the root cause. They kind of almost like you're in their experiment and they really try and dig to find where the issues are and then how to address the actual issue versus if you go to an OBGYN and you have no cycle and or you do have a cycle, but it's terrible, their answer is going to be birth control. And I can't express that enough. Yeah. If your daughter is having really inconsistent cycles, 
And that's your OBGYN's answer <laughs> is to put a young girl on birth control. Please run, please run. <laughs> like that is not an answer. That's a bandaid. And I'm not against birth control, especially for reproductive control. A hundred percent. If you're sexually active and that's the route you want to go, absolutely like take care of it. But if you're using birth control as a way to quote unquote balance your hormones, it's not balancing anything. It actually just shuts off your cycle. So you don't ovulate and ovulation is a sign of female health. If a woman is not ovulating, something is wrong. So BC is not the answer. So if you go to a functional practitioner for again, amenorrhea or your symptoms are really crazy, they're going to actually get blood work done. They're going to look at your thyroid. They're going to look at everything <laughs> and actually see why, like, why are they amenorrhea or amenorrheic? Why are they having crazy symptoms, you know, at this age? Using birth control to get rid of acne is also highly irresponsible. Don't put hormones in a female to get rid of acne. There's different options. So you have to understand, like, what are you actually trying to do? Are you trying to fix the problem? Yes, I hope so. Or are you trying to put a Band-Aid on it? So that's what I suggest, going to a progressive endocrinologist, again, a hormone specialist who is progressive because there's definitely have been endocrinologists that my clients have went to that were a joke. Yeah. <laughs> and again, just try to put push metformin and birth control on my clients with PCOS. I'm like, seriously, you're going to choose metformin before you would even talk about berberine, <laughs> like a simple thing you can get over the counter. I don't know. So that's a whole thing, but working with someone who's actually looking to find the root cause, because you don't, there's no reason we should be ignoring any type of inconsistency or issues with someone with a woman's cycle. That's negligent. It is just brushing it off. I mean, I walked into the ER one day years and years ago with like my, basically I was feeling I was being stabbed in my stomach and the ER doctor was like, Oh, you probably just had an ovarian cyst burst. You're fine. Go see your OB. I'm like, I'm fine. Like I literally just almost crashed my car and there's something bursting in me, but it's fine. So women's reproductive health has very much been kind of like meh. <laughs> In, in the past and not taken super seriously. So as a parent, you know, you have to do your due diligence to find a doctor who doesn't think like that, which there are many, you know, there are many progressive practitioners and functional practitioners who give a shit and they want to find the problem. They want to help you actually fix your hormone um, profile. You don't have to just put birth control on it and say, you're good. <laughs> Or ignore it and say, well, this is just what being a girl is like. No, that's also not an answer. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the the last things that I have before, unless Adrian has anything else, is um, just briefly, you talked about girls having um, visible abs. And so I kind of want to talk briefly about um, people call it spot reducing or training a specific muscle group to get rid of fat at that muscle group. This kind of probably went back in like the myth and fad thing. Can you kind of talk about how that does not work? That if you want to lose weight around your belly button, you need to do the same thing. Or if you want to lose weight around your shoulders or arms, that there's not a special pill or training program that's going to take it off that specific area. Um, and, and maybe what, how you communicate that to females that you work with. 
Right. So the first thing, when anyone ever approaches me with that question, I always tell them, well, first, if something like that existed, I wouldn't have a job. So yeah. I'm here. So <laughs> I have a job. So there's that, that can kind of start off the conversation. But in reality, again, it's, it's um, explaining the truth versus what you believe, you know, it doesn't matter what your opinion is or what you believe because Cosmo told you versus what the truth is, how a human body reacts to a caloric deficit. That's the truth. And the truth is your body doesn't care what you want, right? Your body wants to be alive and it wants to thrive. So your fat distribution, like displacement on your body is completely unique to you based on a number of factors. So your body, if you're in a caloric deficit and you lose body fat, it's going to choose wherever the hell it wants to, you know, that doesn't mean you can't get leaner in certain areas, like quote unquote, stubborn areas. It just might take longer, or you might see that come off last. doesn't mean it can't happen, but you might not see it first. But also I've had clients where I have one right now who she has a very uneven distribution of body fat from which this is pretty common for women from her top half to her bottom half. And I told her in the very beginning, I was like, okay, so clearly you want to lose more body fat in your lower body. We're going to obviously go through a healthy caloric deficit progression, but I want to let you know, there's no such thing as spot reduction. Really losing body fat in general is the only way you're going to see that eventually occur. So I kind of prepped her just to be aware that like your upper body might get leaner too and your lower body still might you know you, you don't know how the body fat's going to come off lo and behold like 12 weeks 13 weeks in her lower body looks freaking amazing <laughs> and i was like i don't know but that's the thing i have no way to predict like what your body's gonna do like most of the time i told her i was like your bo upper body is really lean so you might look just letting you know, if we lose 15 pounds, you might look really unproportionate. Like your body might pull from your upper body still. You might be shredsville up top and like normal on the bottom. I don't know. And lo and behold, we're dieting. And I'm like, well, I'll be damned. Yeah. <laughs> like her lower body is coming down equally to her upper. And I'm like, it's crazy. So just another example, I don't know. You know, like you have to obviously go through the deficit healthfully, but there's no way to predict what your body's going to do. Right. All right. Well, Adrian, do you have any other questions? That's all I had. I think we covered a lot of good stuff. Uh, I guess, Alicia, do you have anything that you want to add about maybe something we glazed over really quickly that you want to expand on um, or anything else you want to add? And if not, uh, let everyone know where they can find you if they want to work with you, your Instagram, um, your stuff at Elite FTS, any of that, let people know where they can find more of your information at. Sure. Uh, so I guess I can just leave you with this is this goes for women and men, but at the end of the day, you have to be an advocate for your own health. No one's going to give a shit, give as much of a shit as you. Right. Um, so it's our responsibility that if we want to change something in ourselves, whether that be eating healthier or getting stronger or looking better, we have to invest, like we have to invest in ourselves, but also um, allow ourselves to learn, be a learner. Don't just fall through emotion. Think about 
you know, logic, you know, what are you learning from this? So be an advocate for your own health, but we be open to learn, you know, that's how you're going to grow. And that's how you're truly going to see progress. Um, so those are like the final two things I would say for sure for all women, it's your responsibility to show up, be your advocate for your own health and learn. Don't just open Cosmo and think, Oh, I have to fast or, Oh, I have to do a, a juice cleanse, you know, dig deeper. Like you deserve better than a juice cleanse. It's basically <laughs> it, but everyone does. Everyone deserves better than someone being like, go shit yourself. Um, cause that's what a juice cleanse is going to say. Um, but anyway, you can, <laughs> if you would like more sarcasm and, um, jokes like this, you can find me at Instagram is kind of where I hang out the most. And it's just my name. So Alicia Israel and Israel is spelled like the country. Uh, I do write for lead up TS. I do have a article blog page essentially on there that has more, again, long form content. So if you want to read more about, gosh, I have training programs in there. I have nutrition myths and stuff in there. I have how to drink alcohol and lose weight. I have um, all the different things in, in that. But Instagram, Elite FTS is typically where I hang out. Um, truthfully, I don't really go on my website too much, but I guess you can go and peruse there if you want. That's just a testimonial page. And that's just aliciasbarbell.com. That's my business. And that's basically it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say one thing you do have, you didn't mention, you have your email list that you send out. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, not, it's not spam. Like, you do not send stuff every day. You don't send random crap. Like, you send informational content. Yeah, I do have an email list. So I'm like the worst at marketing myself. I'm like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so if you are interested in, in jumping on my email list, you can definitely, you can always DM me on Instagram. Uh, I do have, I mean, this will obviously be released late, but when you jump on my email list, I typically do send like a welcome email. And then I do have a recipe book that my assistant coach just made today. Um, so that's pretty cool. But, but yeah, I do have an email list. If you want on it, feel free to DM me your email and I'll throw you on it. That's great. Well, Alicia, thank you for your time. I think we had a good almost hour and a half discussion. I know I took away some stuff. I'm sure Adrian did. Um, good to obviously talk to you. I know Adrian gets to talk to you every week with her check-ins and stuff, but yeah, um, she's killing it. I told her she's making my job easy wee. as a coach. I literally told her, I was like, Adrian, <laughs> like, I love you, but you're making my job really easy. So keep, macro is the same this week yet again <laughs> I know I, it's easy to say right now because I'm eating so much food and I feel awesome but like when I was going through chemo I was just thinking of what I was going to do when I was healthy and this was it so like I am ready to beat some people <laughs> ready to crush it <laughs> yes uh, but again yes thank you for your time I hope people really take what you have to say um seriously and I've, like, I've known you for eight years and um, I push I know Adrian does now too like every time people come to me about nutrition I just give them your information I say check out Alicia I don't know what her availability is and um, you know if it will fit in your budget or not and how that works that's all up between you and Alicia but I'm like if I'm going to recommend anybody you're usually it and I remember when you started whenever we were we both were very young on Elite FTS and that was a very very young endeavor that you had it's been cool to see that grow over those five, six, seven, eight years, however long it's been before it was actually Alicia's barbell. <laughs> um, I know it was just like, hi, come to me yeah. for training. If you yeah. feel like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it's been cool to see everything go that route for you. So um, again, thank you for your time. Um, and we'll have all this up. And if anybody wants any of Alicia's stuff, I'm going to link some of her like 
more popular articles and stuff in the show notes as well. So if you want to read some of her content, I highly suggest that if you want free information, she has one of the best columns on Ali FTS. So um, thanks again, Alicia. Alicia, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. And, you know, I'm obviously watching you guys with the gym and everything. And that's, especially during COVID, I mean, bless you guys, you know, um, keep rocking it. I know obviously entrepreneurship of any type is hard. So especially with gym owners, just keep your heads up and keep doing you and helping people and it'll all work itself out. Yep. All right. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, tell Peter and all the doggies. Hi. <laughs> I will for sure. All right. See you, Alicia. See ya. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period T-H-I-R-S-T. Or you can give me a follow at B Smitley. That's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y. For more updates on future episodes to come. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, and we'll catch you at the next episode.